Welcome to episode 599 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. Not apparently in control of your voice, though, because this is our second attempt at coming in here, Josh. Yeah, that that clip might make it to the end of the show, so you'll have to to stick around for that. I think that's totally fair. But um, I also wanted to call out 599, 599. We keep on hitting these big milestones, and that means that next week, 600? I I guess it would be. The math checks out. Yeah, I I have nothing planned. I I think you know once you get past five hundred, it's it's hard to make a big deal about the hundreds. Yeah, it's another episode. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, maybe maybe we'll have to figure something interesting out for episode one thousand. That's we should totally do that forever away. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll have eight K TVs by then. I better be retired by then. <laughs> Yeah. Well, anyway, we have some actual listener feedback to get to tonight. This was sent into our inboxes at entertainment20 at the digitalmediazone.com. And the first one is from longtime listener of the show, Gary. He wrote uh, a great message, but a long one. So we're going to summarize some of this, but there's there's some good stuff in here. So Gary says, hi, guys. Uh, After the recent passing of my 50-inch plasma TV, I picked up a Costco Hisense UHD 55A7G. Hisense isn't good at model names either. And since the plasma wasn't even full HD, nor was it smart or internet connected, (laughs) the jump was noticeable. He put that in quotes. Uh, One thing I noticed in researching this over a similarly priced TCL TV was at this size, there are differences in the versions between countries. Buyers really need to use reviews like CNET and AV Forums UK as a guide, but should look for local market reviews. And the reason why this is super relevant here is Gary's in Australia. So while our news is typically focused at uh, the the U.S. consumers, uh, he's still listening because a lot of this is still pretty relevant, obviously, outside of the U.S., but our model numbers and all of that stuff can be different. So good tip there from Gary. He says, ironically, I did not get the 65-inch model, even though my wife was comfortable spending the extra $200 uh, Australian on it. Uh, he, He didn't go bigger because he also has a projector in the same room. He says, I love the 55 inch and I'm becoming lazy and less motivated to switch around my speakers and seating to watch my 120 inch 1080p projector uh, and screen that is facing on the opposite wall. That's an interesting setup, a projector on one wall and a TV on the other. Huh? Yeah. I'm curious what that space looks like that would enable that because oftentimes if you have a projector on one wall, there's openings on the opposing walls, but you never (laughs) know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we, we might need pictures now, Gary. 
Uh, he says, I would also like to raise the increasingly larger elephant in the room of e-waste of TVs and advocate, if anyone can, not to go to a bigger screen TV, but maybe a big screen and an ultra short throw projector. I also must add that if ultra short throw projectors become competitive, it will mean a game changer for the panel making dominance of LG and Samsung. And that's a really great call out that we've never really talked about here before. And, uh, uh, is is probably even more fitting after we were basically shaming my friend last week for getting a 55-inch OLED instead of upgrading to a 65-inch OLED. Yeah, totally. But I, but I do wonder, like, what is the actual total volume of physical space of a short-throw projector versus a big-screen TV? And I don't know the answer to that, right? We've looked at a couple short throw projectors. I in particularly in particular like the Hisense projectors. Sony also makes some good models and those aren't small boxes. So I don't know. I don't know if we're really saving on e-waste or saving maybe different types of e-waste. Yeah, not sure. Anyway, something to think about. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a really good thought. And and we don't talk a ton about projectors around here because you do you know, the, the other big problem there is you have to have the right room for a projector. You you have to have well, I guess you don't have to have, you know, a 110-inch space. You could absolutely use a projector and and project a 75-inch uh, right. display, I suppose. But the bigger problem for most people is they don't have a dark enough room for that to work well. Right. So that's that, that I think is the the bigger problem overall. But but good points nonetheless. Uh, Gary also threw out a couple of recommendations for things to watch and read. He's been watching The Sandman on Netflix and reading, suggest reading the book Stardust. Both of them are written by Neil Gaiman, I'm going to guess is how it's pronounced. Gaiman, G- Neil Gaiman. It's Gaiman. Okay. Shame G-A-I. on you that you don't know this. Man. You must not read much science fiction. I, I definitely don't read enough science fiction. Like for <laughs> as much as I love science fiction, I've read very little of it. So there you go. Sandman and Stardust. Good stuff. I do want to watch Stardust and um, I've heard good things about Sandman. So. Okay. I'll add it. It's going to be so far back in the queue, just to be fair. (laughs) Right. All right. Do you uh, want me to read this message from Jose? Go for it. All right. He says, hey, guys, hope you had a great Labor Day weekend. I have a quick question for you. I haven't kept up with over-the-air standards since I'm still a cable subscriber. So could you explain the difference between ATSC 1.0 and 3.0? And if I should spend an extra $50 to get an HDHR, HD Home Run, next gen versus the Quattro. And he provides some context, but I'm not even sure we need the context to have this discussion. Do we? No, you're, you're right. We don't. So uh, great question. It's something we haven't talked about in a while. So ATSC 3.0. This is the new standard for receiving 
a television signal over the air through an antenna. And nice thing, the antennas that you used in the 80s will still work for this. They worked when we switched to digital in 2008, I think that was. Um, and they'll still work for the new version. And the biggest thing that you're going to get out of ATSC 3.0 is 4K video with the possibility of getting up to 8K video and even better audio. So the the current ATSC 1.0 signal that you can get pretty much anywhere in the United States currently uh, maxes out at a 1080i signal and uh, five uh, 5.1 audio. With the new version, it's definitely at least 4K video and can do 7.1.4 audio, which means uh, seven speakers, you know, seven normal speakers, your, your front three, your uh, surrounds and your rear speakers, plus the subwoofer channel, plus Atmos. So that's amazing. Yeah. All so over the air. My question for you then, Josh, is, is anybody broadcasting in all those amazing specs? That's, I wasn't, I, I actually don't, well, I, I'm sure that there are some like demo stations that are broadcasting some of that stuff, but there are lots of markets around the United States uh, and South Korea uh, and Jamaica, oddly, um, that are already broadcasting in in ATSC 3.0. Now, it's completely up to the individual channel what they're actually using. Like, are they actually sending a 4K signal and, and all of that stuff? That's completely up to your, your individual local networks. But there are at least a couple of dozen markets within the U.S. that are already broadcasting ATSC 3.0 signals. We'll put a link in the show notes to the page uh, from the ATSC standard group that shows all of the markets that either are already broadcasting, have made agreements to start broadcasting, or they plan to very soon. Uh, The real bummer for me is my local market isn't in any of those categories. It hasn't even made plans to start broadcasting in ATSC 3.0. The Detroit region, so not super far from me, uh, already has this, but but my Northwest Ohio market does not. Um, the other the the other thing is that this isn't just TV. Like that is for sure the main thing that it will be used for. But this is using. IP. It's internet protocol, the same sort of stuff that you're using to get your internet connection into your house and on your mobile phone. It is, you can think of this as broadcast internet, but the really important thing is that like this, this will not replace your home internet because it is a one way broadcast. It's still like a TV signal. It's just sending a signal out, but that is a 25 megabit connection digitally going out over the airwaves to anything. And that could be your the antenna in your house, but they could also start integrating this into cars and phones. I wouldn't be surprised to see Android phones potentially get receivers for this. Maybe iPhone will probably never do it. Um, but 
uh, because it's an internet connection, they can do all sorts of other over-the-top things, too. And there are other interesting things that they're going to be doing with it um, around emergency broadcast signals and stuff like that. But people don't normally get all that excited about emergency broadcast uh, features. <laughs> so those are the big deals out of out of ATSC3. So should Jose get an ATSC3 tuner for his parents? Uh, biggest question is, are they in a market that already has ATSC3? And if not, are they in a market that will at least get it soon? First, check that. Add one more thing to that calculation. How big is the television? Exactly. That was the next thing. Do they even have a 4K TV? And and is it a big one? Because if not, like it really isn't going to matter. And we're we're going to be years away from if ever, <laughs> at least years away before any major providers like, yeah, we're only broadcasting in ATSC 3.0. So you're perfectly safe buying an ATSC 1.0 tuner right now. Um, and maybe you don't need the 3.0 at all. Right. And you mentioned, you hinted at something that he didn't really clarify in that first paragraph, which is that the context for that, for this whole question is that he bought an NVIDIA Shield Pro because it was on sale and he was thinking of returning it. But then he thought with his parents getting into streaming apps, it'd be nice to give them this platform where he could have like everything all in one. He could set up Plex, he could get HD Home Run, and they could have all their stuff in one place. Again, I just don't think it's worth worrying about 3.0 when you're, I don't think enough broadcasters are doing anything new or interesting with it. I really don't think we're going to get 4K on it in any near future in most markets. And at this point, with 1.0 working just fine, stick with that for now. I don't even know what future life ATSC has. I mean, I. I really do wonder, are we going to be at the point where at some point broadcasters are just going to be like, all right, we're just doing everything online now. I mean, we will be at that point at some point, but is that going to come sooner than the promise of 3.0? I don't know. I think they're pretty close together. I, I guess it depends on what that cost the the networks, right? Because to to broadcast that signal over the internet costs a lot of money, but how much does it cost them to upgrade their equipment to ATSC 3.0? Don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know for either actually, but right. anyway, and he also closes by saying congrats on 598 now 99 episodes. Thanks Jose. Always yeah. good to hear from you. It's rather fitting to get this message from Jose on this episode because he is the one who's always uh, pointing out that he doesn't care about the milestones. He's just glad that people like us are still putting out episodes every week. So appreciate the question from Jose uh, and the, the message from Gary. Again, if you'd like to send us a message for a future episode, our email address is entertainment20 at the digital media zone dot com and all the rest of our contact information will be at the end of the show. So 
Let's get into the news then, Richard. And it's time for more TVs. We were talking about the Vizio MQX last episode. I believe that was last episode, right? Maybe? I think so. I think so. Time yep. is going too fast for me to, to really keep track of, of when that was. But I think it was last week. So uh, TCL announced a new version of their six series TVs. and. This is the 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 lineup that we were saying is the biggest direct competitor to that Vizio MQX line that we were talking about before. And the TCL 6 series is the line that we've been saying for the last few years is pretty much the ideal spot for a really good but not super expensive TV. You know, Richard and I are still going to be preaching OLED for a while. But if you're not looking to spend $2,000 on a TV, you just want something that's a really good picture for a thousand bucks or less, TCL 6 Series is typically probably where we're going to send you. So brand new ones uh, coming out right now. And there's still mini LED, which is a really good thing. Um, not radically different from, from last year's model. Uh, or or the year prior, and maybe we should just start this off by saying something that I didn't actually realize about TCL. Maybe we didn't know because it's sort of a new thing, but they're now basically doing like an every other year sort of thing where one year they're doing the Roku TVs and the next year they're doing the Google TV TVs. And by doing, what you really mean, I think, is revving, right? Yes. Yeah. So last year's six series, uh, all of all of their new TVs for that revision were all Google TV. Now these ones are all Roku, but they're also a little bit better than the last ones. So the the Google TV ones were Mini LED, but they topped out at uh, a 120 hertz panel. This one, 144 hertz at 4K still. Uh, this one also has even more local dimming zones. The 75-inch model, which is the, the biggest one in this series, uh, has 360 zones of of full array local dimming, That's which is fantastic. Massive. It's so yeah. good. It's so good. The 2020 model had 240 zones, which was still great, especially when you compare that to the Vizio MQX that we talked about last week. The 75-inch version of that had 42 local dimming zones, which isn't awful, but it's nowhere near 360. <laughs> so, right. yeah, I mean, with 360 zones of local dimming, that's going to get a lot harder to notice the the light bleed uh, when you've got really high contrast areas of, right. of the picture that you're looking at. Yeah, this, this moon ain't bleeding. Right. Uh, well, on... On OLED, it's definitely not bleeding. But well, here, it's getting pretty close to not bleeding. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So basically, it's it's last year's TV, except uh, 144 hertz refresh rate, which is great if you're planning to hook this up to a computer. Uh, it obviously also does 120 hertz if you're planning to hook it up to a uh, PlayStation 5 or an Xbox Series X or Series S. Um, and it's a little bit brighter, a little bit better, better dimming. So overall better, 
It's Roku, which maybe that's a good thing for you. Maybe it's not. I would prefer a Google TV one over Roku. Uh, and then the prices, again, this is offered in 55, 65, and 75-inch options. And the prices for those are $699, $999, and $1499. So pretty good prices. Yeah, good prices for what you're getting. A little bit surprising for TCL. Those are high prices for TCL, but you're getting a really good quality television. I have a question for you about the Google TV experience. One of the things that I think Roku does really well is the integration with third-party devices. With Roku TVs, Roku is your operating system. I don't know what that experience is like on Google TVs. Do you? Do they integrate the third-party devices like a UHD Blu-ray player or a cable box as seamlessly as Roku does? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe the DMZ just needs to go buy one of each and we'll find... No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But, <laughs> but so much curious. for our CES money. <laughs> right. We can't. We yeah. bought TVs. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Not going to do that. But that's a great question. Um, I I don't know. Uh, I, and in terms of just like input switching and, and stuff like that. Right. Right. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'd be curious to check that out. So that's something that if we do attend CES in person this year, we should definitely investigate. We should try to find out more about that because I think that's a great benefit of the Roku experience is that kind of super homepage before you're in the streaming experience, you actually have this higher level menu that Roku still manages for you. Right. The other thing worth pointing out that that is another big benefit in Roku is the overall ecosystem. Roku makes a bunch of sound devices like sound bars and and wireless speakers and and things like that that seamlessly connect to these things and that's you know there, there's nothing like that in the Google ecosystem despite the fact that there are Google powered speakers in the yeah. world yeah they still don't natively pair to Google TV devices yeah maddening okay well richard uh i'm going to Guess that you can handle the next story? Oh, yeah. You're our oh, Apple yeah. guy. So the day we're recording today, on Wednesday, we have the Apple fall event where they announced watches, AirPods, and phones. And I escaped the only one thing on my shopping list. I'm very excited about this. And that is the new AirPods Pro. It wasn't the $800 watch? No, <laughs> the way too big for me, $800 watch. No, it wasn't that. It's really cool, but no, it's not that. So they, Apple announced a new generation of the AirPods Pro. These are the small ones, not the big, huge cans that fit over your ears, but rather the small ones that fit in your ears. They are going to be 249 which I think is the exact same price as they were before, which is awesome. And they, you know, I don't even know what these metrics really mean. They double the noise canceling. 
how do you measure that? Really? <sighs> I mean, I, I don't know what that means. But right. anyway, they improve the noise canceling of the original AirPods Pro. And part of the way they do that is electronically. And the other part of the way they do that is that they have another size of the uh, – I don't even know what you call them. I want to call them gels, but they're not that. The little vinyl tip that actually goes into your ear. There used to be three. Now there are four. And if you don't know this, the AirPods Pro software on iPhone and iPad has a mechanism for determining which one of those is the best for you. I don't get it. I don't understand how it works, but they somehow figure out bleed and determine whether this is the right size for you or not. Remember, these things have microphones on the outside because they let outside noise in if you want them to. So that's probably how they're doing it, but a pretty cool thing. Uh, they have improved spatial audio. They're making it personalized, which is interesting, but also are you really sharing your – I don't want to even know if you're sharing your AirPods with somebody. The coolest thing, I think, are new gestures on the stocks. So previously in the pros, they introduced this idea of squeeze and hold. And by the way, there's no physical button there. There's to, It's just this whole uh, haptic thing where you touch and it detects it and it and you squeeze it and it detects it and it feels like you clicked it, but nothing actually clicked. It's amazing. They introduced this idea of squeeze and hold to change the noise canceling mode. Now they're also adding swipe controls so that you can swipe up and down on the control area and and uh, increase the volume or decrease the volume, which is, I think, a really nice feature. That's a nice thing to have. You used to be able to do some sort of volume control on the original AirPods or the original AirPods, but AirPods Pro never really offered that feature. Battery life, not much better than it was before. It's about six hours, and the case will give you four more charges. It, they The case does have Find My, which is nice. It also has a speaker to be able to blast the noise if you use the Find My iPods feature from or AirPods feature from uh, a phone somewhere. And at this point, we don't know if they support Bluetooth LE audio. What do you think that's about, Josh? Well, Apple's never really been one to talk about standards and codecs and stuff like that that they didn't come up with. <laughs> I was going to say, unless they create them. Exactly. <laughs> but... I, I was trying to find out if they mentioned this anywhere or whatever and did some Googling and it does sound like this new chip that, that's in these does support the new LC3 codec and and a Apple did talk about this new chip supporting higher bit rates and higher quality and decreased power consumption, all of the same things that we were talking about as some of the benefits of the the new Bluetooth LE audio format uh, with with LC3 codec, so they could be. It makes me wonder if they 
would actually support Bluetooth LE audio on an Android phone or something like that. It'd be oh, really interesting question. to find out if if they do and yeah. how you would even fully test that. But it it would be nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can use a current pair of AirPods with an Android phone and presumably you get all of the relevant feature set through Bluetooth when you do that. So I'm assuming it would make the Bluetooth LE features available, but we'll have to find out. If you're interested in these, they are available for $249. As I said, they go on sale this Friday, maybe even the day you're listening to this on September 9th, and they will be shipping on September 23rd. And I will be receiving a pair on September 23rd nice. because my AirPods Pro have been through the wash one too many times. <laughs> Is that one times? No, no, no. They have survived many times, <laughs> oh. but they're getting a little wonky now. Mm. And I can't blame Apple for that. No, no, that, that's all your fault. That That's right. not Apple's fault. <laughs> right. As much as I might look for reasons to blame Apple for things, that's all your fault. Right? Yeah, no, Sorry. that's my fault. Yeah. Okay. Well, oddly, Apple wasn't the only company announcing new hardware today. Which is insane. You know, pretty much the rest of the <laughs> consumer electronics in industry goes, oh, Apple's having an iPhone event. We should just not try to make any news today because no right. one's going to see any of it. Right. We should shut up now. Right? Yeah, right. Right. It just makes sense. And for whatever reason, Microsoft said, eh, screw it. We're going to try anyway. And they announced a new controller for the Xbox and and not just like a new color of the controller or anything like that. This is a legit controller. So we've had the Xbox Elite controller for years now. I think at least five years since the original uh, Xbox Elite controller first debuted. And then just uh, before the uh, Xbox Series X released, they announced a second generation, the Xbox Elite Series 2 controller, and uh, it was slightly more impressive and significantly more expensive at uh, 180 bucks for that thing. And since then, we haven't really had any real updates to it uh, other than uh, a Halo-themed version of that controller. Well, today, Xbox announced the Elite Series 2 Core controller. It looks different. That'll be the the way that you can really tell the difference. It's white instead of black, uh, but it has big black grips on the side, making this, uh, in my opinion, pretty ugly looking. But I guess that... (laughs) Maybe that doesn't matter. It's a controller. Uh, It seems like it does. Like People buy controllers, you know, different colors and designs because they do care about what they look like. And this thing is ugly. Sorry. And so it's called the series two core. And that should tell you that it's like the more basic version of the elite controller. And that is exactly what it is. So the regular elite series two controller has uh, adjustable thumbsticks and they can be removed and swapped out for thumbsticks that have concave or convex 
uh, tops to where your thumb goes, different heights. There are two different sets of paddles that can go on on the backs of the controllers and then uh, different D-pads that can go on them. And the triggers are also adjustable so that they you can make them so that the throw on the trigger is shorter so that you can push them faster. With the core, you get the adjustable tension sticks, but you don't get different sticks that you can put on it. You can't. You don't get triggers. Uh, you know, additional triggers for the back of it. You still get the. Uh, or sorry, you don't get the replaceable paddles for the back of it. You do still have the adjustable triggers because that's hardwired, and you you can't remove those. Unlike the thumbsticks and the paddles and all of that stuff, you do not get extra versions of the D pad. You do not get a case that charges the controller. It is basically the bare bones version of the Xbox Elite Series 2 controller. But you can buy all of that extra stuff if you eventually decide you want them because they've also announced uh, what they're calling the complete component pack. And that component pack is basically everything that didn't come with the thing. It's the case that the charges, the controller, all of the extra paddles, the D-pads, all of that other stuff that makes it a true Elite Series 2 controller. So you're, of course, going to save money on this then because it's not quite as adjustable and customizable. This new version is $129. The regular one that, that comes with all of the bells and whistles is $179. So you'd think you'd be able to guess what the complete component pack is. There's a $50 difference in those prices. The complete component pack must be $50. No, it is $60. So <laughs> you're paying right. 10 bucks extra for purchasing that stuff later. Right. So if you think you want like the whole deal, just get the real Elite Series 2. Right. Save up a little bit more money for, for the whole deal. And like, it's really easy for us to say that. And and it's really easy for us to just be like, what's, what's the point? Just, just buy the bigger one. But this might be the one that I would actually consider, especially if it wasn't so friggin' hideous. Like it is so ugly. (laughs) It's so ugly. But the main thing that I want about the, the Xbox lead controller is the adjustable triggers. I I want to be able to shorten the throw on those triggers for playing shooters so that I can pull the trigger faster. Same sort of thing for hockey. The pass button is mapped to a trigger for some reason, which really makes me feel like there are times when I'm trying to make a really fast pass and I don't complete the pass before I get hit. And I feel like maybe if I had one of these controllers, I could make some of those passes that I can't make right now. That's probably not the case. I'm probably just old and slow. But I, I would consider this. I don't need the case. I, I don't necessarily need those other things. I, I, I'm probably not advanced enough of a gamer to really be using all of the extra paddles and stuff on the back. But so it does sound interesting. The other, the other quick bit of news here is that they are now finally making it so that you can uh, customize an Elite Series 2 controller in Design Lab, which is great except that you can't customize the Elite Series 2 core, I don't think. 
that's annoying. Like if I could customize that, then maybe because then it wouldn't be so ugly. Uh, but it sounds like it's the the real one that you can customize in the design lab. But maybe the most important news here that's buried at the bottom of the article, but was the first thing that I looked for is, did they change the warranty? Because these are expensive controllers. Expe- mm. Like the Xbox, the, the full-blown one is the cost of three full-price games. That's a lot of money for a controller. And these controllers have always had a 30-day warranty. That's criminal to have a 30-day warranty on a controller that's $180 that can get dropped. And and people have had reliability issues with these things. One of the big reasons why I haven't gotten them. Like, I'm not going to spend that much money for a controller with questionable reliability and a pointlessly short warranty period. And now they get a one-year warranty. Like, now I would actually consider getting one of these things. Yeah. So the warranty thing also, by the way, most premium credit cards offer an extended warranty on anything that you purchase. So if you ever have a ridiculously pathetic warranty like this has, please, please, please look into that with the card that you bought it with, or maybe intentionally buy it with a card that you know offers extended warranty on products because that was ridiculous. I I think it's strategic that they aren't offering customization on this. That's part of it being core. That's part of it being just the base product. You want the base product, you get something that looks like Sony made it. If you want a <laughs> if you want a beautiful product, you then you're gonna have to pay full price. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So who knows? You know, maybe this goes on sale at some point and drops it down to $99 or something like that. Maybe then I consider buying this this hideous thing. Uh, but I'm probably still not going to rush out and get one of these right away. But it's there for you. Okay, a couple of other uh, quicker updates, uh, some software updates on the Xbox side. Uh, the Xbox Series X now has... Uh, a new feature that they call party chat noise suppression. And it's about like what you would expect from the name of it. it it's a feature that you can enable or disable. And uh, if you have it enabled, it will, in theory, block out uh, the the sound from other people, like perhaps their breathing, uh, noise that's just happening in the the background where they're playing, Gamepad clicks, you know, if you're playing with somebody who's really violent on on the controller, sometimes you can hear that and it will filter out a lot of those noises. Very curious to see how well this actually works. It's available now, though, uh, on on Xbox Series X and Series X only. Uh, but they say that they're planning to expand this to other platforms later. I am curious what those will be if it'll come to the Xbox one. Uh, or if they're really talking PC there, uh, because I'm guessing this does, this obviously takes some amount of processing power and maybe that's processing power that they don't want to take away from the, the Xbox one family of consoles right now. So maybe it's just coming to PC. The other quick tip that I just kind of wanted to throw out there, because to, to enable or disable this, you have to go into you know, press the guide button, go over to parties and chat, 
And then inside of your party, you have to go to another drop-down menu uh, that's called options. And people probably almost never go into that. But there's some useful things in there that that I, I and I just wanted to point out one in, in case you didn't even know that this was a feature in party chat uh, on Xbox. There's a feature to make them invite only. And you might be thinking, why would I ever need to do this in a party chat? And if you don't know, then good for you. It means that your friends are are cool. Uh, instead, <laughs> maybe you play with some other people that I don't know, just maybe you shouldn't play with these people. But I've been in parties before where uh, other friends of the people that I'm playing with will see that they're online and just jump into the party to start talking and seeing what they're playing and maybe want to play with them or maybe try to convince them to play something else. And they're always super annoying people. And you can set the party to invite only and then people can't just jump into your party. Uh, with without being invited. So just a, a little quick tip there on your Xbox party chats. The other feature that they added is actually in the mobile apps. So if you have shared a game clip or a photo and someone is viewing that from uh, the, the mobile apps on, well, on mobile or on PC, then if that clip was taken from a game that is available through Xbox cloud game streaming, then there'll be a big green play button in the app so that if I share a clip of me playing Forza Horizon 5, a play button will show up and whoever's looking at my clip can just tap that play button and it will start playing Forza Horizon 5 using Xbox cloud gaming. And that's, it's not a feature that I think is going to get a lot of use, but it is a cool feature. And it probably didn't take him that much work to add it. <laughs> All right. So uh, next one, I, I think we've talked about the rumors of this in the past. Um, I feel like I've been talking about it so much with my friends, uh, but it's now finally official. Microsoft officially uh, announced the Game Pass Friends and Family plan. It's only available right now in Ireland. And Colombia, I have no idea why they picked those two markets, but it is Game Pass Ultimate that you can share with four other people. So five total accounts sharing one Game Pass Ultimate subscription, which includes the full Game Pass library on console and PC, the uh, cloud game streaming, and Xbox Live Gold access for all the online multiplayer and things like that for five accounts. And here's the crazy thing. The price in Ireland, this subscription is going to cost 22 euros a month. And the euro is pretty much even with the dollar right now. So it's basically $22 a month for five people to have access to a subscription that's normally $15 a month for one person. Yeah, this is amazing. And when we talked about this, we were worried about whether, well, I was not so much worried as thinking that to limit this from friends who always play together all the time from using this, they might say, okay, well, a couple, you have to be on the same network, but the only limitation that they have on this, from what I can tell is that you have to be in the same country. Yeah, that's it. That's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. 
it, it's it's really really nice. So hopefully this is going to come to other markets, especially the United States. That would be really really cool. All right, last quick gaming update, and this is from Sony. They have finally released the update uh, to the PlayStation Five to support. 1440p resolution. It's great to finally have that for all of you with gaming monitors. You can now plug your PlayStation 5 into your 100 or into your 1440p monitor. Uh, it will support 60 hertz and 120 hertz, but nothing in between. If you set your PlayStation 5 to 1440p, it disables variable refresh rate, which is really dumb and really frustrating. And hopefully they're going to eventually fix that too, because I can't understand why they wouldn't be able to do that if the console already supports a variable refresh rate for 4K. So why can't you do it at a lower resolution? I don't get it. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're having to algorithmically do 1440 and... So the processing power is sacrificed and therefore you can't do variable refresh rate in this. Mm. I don't know. This is crazy to me. It's crazy to me that they couldn't do it to begin with. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I feel like I should be done saying bad things about Sony, at least for this episode. So I'm just going to move on. And instead, get us into what's going on in our entertainment centers. I guess I'll kick us off as I usually do. So I think I mentioned that when I originally set up the new LG OLED, I tried to do it using the LG Think app. That would be Think with a Q. So maybe I should pronounce it ThinQ. I really don't know. I think it is pronounced ThinQ. Anyway. This terrible app didn't work properly when I was trying to set up the TV initially. So I thought, all right, well, you know, I'd like to include the TV and some automation stuff around my home. Maybe I should try and set up their actual app. And so I went through the process of completing the provisioning of the TV, which is already set up, but making it available in the app. And yep. The app is as terrible as I remembered it from the first time. It really adds no useful functionality. The English instructions were clearly not written, edited, or reviewed by anyone who speaks English or looks at layout for that matter. And it looks really like a complete ripoff of the SmartThings app. Down to the notification badges of new stuff that include an N in them, <laughs> which I've never seen anywhere but in smart things. Only in smart things. Only. And you're like, N? What is this N? Right. <laughs> wow. That's really right. bad. Yeah. It's, yeah. So if you're thinking, hey, if you're thinking, Hey, I just got an LG TV. Maybe I'll use the new app. Don't. Just don't. Don't bother. This is not worth it. What a waste. Anyway, as far as what I've been doing with viewing content or 
consuming content. Of course, I'm continuing to watch Big Brother, continuing to watch the Bob Newhart show. We started, well, no, we didn't start. I started The Boys Season 3. I think the season's over now, but I was behind. So with other things finished, now I'm catching up on stuff. Wow. Wow, man. This show loves to blow up bodies and show you (laughs) just how many pieces they might end up in if you blow them up. It's unbelievable. (laughs) Holy cow. And uh, I mentioned before that we've been watching What We Do in the Shadows. This is season four. This is such a good season. If you were frustrated that season three wasn't as good as the past, this season is amazing. Watch it. It's almost over. It is over now, actually. The last episode just dropped. I haven't watched it yet. Looking forward to that. Love the show. We watched another episode of The First Lady. That's the thing that chronicles the lives of various first ladies over time, mixing them up in their respective time frames. And we started the two billion with a B Lord of the Rings series that Amazon launched recently. It's good. We only watched the first episode, but I am hooked. It is good. The trailers are terrible. <laughs> so. I don't know, Josh, if you're a Lord of the Rings guy, if you liked the movies, if you did and you weren't interested in this because the trailers look lame, don't believe the trailers. They do a really good job of setting it up and tying it into the stories you already know from the beginning. I am very impressed. I can't wait to play this one out. So answer me this. Um, I I did generally enjoy Lord of the Rings, but... If if you were like, let's rewatch all of the movies together this weekend, I would say, um, can we just skip the first one and just go straight to, to episode two or whatever they call it, the second one and then the third one? If I'm yeah. more into the second and third one, am, am I going to like this show more or is this more Fellowship of the Ring? I felt like, oh, wow, that's a really good question. Or is this more, I'm guessing it's not more. The Hobbit, because The Hobbit was super boring, and I never watched the other. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, the other two and uh, Tony in the chat is saying they lost me with The Hobbit, and I, I totally get that. They took a short story as compared to the three huge volumes of The Lord of the Rings and turned it into three movies. Yeah. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking there. This. I think is way, 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 way better than The Hobbit. I think it has a lot of potential. I've only seen the first episode, but from what I've seen so far, I'm very enthusiastic about it. And I mean, I yes, I watch Big Brother, but I think that my standards for good television <laughs> are usually pretty high. Okay, last question then. Okay. How stressful is it? Am I am I going to be able to get Jen to watch it with me? All right. So it's not House of the Dragon. <laughs> so I would say that, yes. No, I, I think it's absolutely something. If she liked Lord of the Rings, I think it's something that she would enjoy watching. Okay. Now let's talk about House of the Dragon. Don't watch that. If If you don't like stressful stuff, don't watch that. But if you loved 
the original series, Game of Thrones, and you don't mind the blood and the gore and the the brutality and just the awfulness of it all. Yeah, no, this is great. This was this latest episode was the best episode yet. Really good talking about the kind of um, the, the alignment to the throne of various people in the storyline and setting up this story for the rest of the season. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Also, we watched a movie this weekend. I didn't realize it was available on streaming. I thought it was only available in theaters. But uh, we watched the movie Hunk for Jesus. The trailers for this make it look hysterical. And it had its funny moments. It's basically about a deplaced, displaced reverend who is displaced in shame and is trying to make a comeback. And they're doing a documentary about his comeback. It's Jordan Peele. So it has lots of heavy moments in this thing that was advertised as a comedy. (laughs) I enjoyed it, but it was not what I expected at all. Mm. So there's my review. I don't know what else to tell you. And that's apparently streaming now only on Peacock. It is streaming on Peacock. Yes, it is. And I'm still listening to Steve Jobs, which I incorrectly mentioned was about 46 hours last week. It's not. It's like 26. But still, it might as well be 46 because I'm going to be listening to this for weeks. (laughs) Right. 26 is a pretty long book. Yeah. Hopefully, I'll finish by October on the anniversary of his death. Yeah. How about you, Josh? All right. Well, a little bit more Forza Horizon, Hot Wheels, still enjoying that. Uh, And NHL, other than that, nothing new on the video game side. On the TV side, I finished Severance. I I think I had said last week that I had started Severance on on Apple TV Plus, and I binged through the second half of the season. And I, I don't think this is a spoiler. If you're really, really, really spoiler sensitive, then maybe skip the next minute. But I don't think this is a spoiler. I was a little disappointed in the finish for the same reason that I was disappointed with the end of season one of Stranger Things. I felt like they just left way too many things unanswered. They really haven't explained that much at the end of this first season. No, but they turned it on its head, so they give a lot to talk about in season two. I wouldn't say that they turned it on its head. They've certainly opened up a lot of possibilities for what season two could be, for sure. But it's not, and and to to really not potentially risk spoiling anything, uh, one of my other favorite shows of the last five or ten years, the darker show uh, absolutely turned everything on its head at the end of the first season. Uh, the show was sort of about robots and things like that. Um, <laughs> you probably know what I'm talking about, hopefully. That show turned everything on its head at the end of the first season. I don't think that's what happened here. And so I won't even get into what questions I wanted answered because I don't want to spoil anything at all about severance because you really should go in knowing 
almost nothing. It's okay yep. to know like what severance is, um, but you don't really want to know anything else. And it was good. And I think I will give season two uh, a chance when it comes back. Unlike Stranger Things, I noped out of that and and have decided I'm never going back to Stranger Things because I was so mad. But so disappointing that you did that. I, I will give severance another try, I think, next year. Um, cause it, it was good. It was, it was pretty good. Yep. Yep. What I liked about severance is that it didn't wait to get started. Like within the first two episodes, you're like, wow, this is a completely messed up experience. <laughs> right. Right. Like they did not ease you into anything. No, 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 they didn't. And, um, and, and it gives you some, some good, like, it gives you some good things to think about. Like you, I, I really found myself a lot over the last couple of weeks thinking like, okay, if I was in this experience, like if I was in the, if I was an innie, like how, how would I make that work for me? Like, cause, cause you could, like, there are ways to make this work for you. Um, Yeah. Lots, lots of really good thought experiments from that show. I, I like that aspect of it. Yep. So, um, I can't remember if I mentioned last time that we saw Hamilton live. You did. Okay. Cool. Yeah. It was just yep. so good. It was so good. I wanted to talk about it again. Um, You're still excited about it. it That's a good so sign. Good. Yeah. Uh, this weekend we were with family celebrating uh, a birthday, and uh, it, the party was over. Everyone just wanted to chill and watch something, and. Someone else recommended, how about we watch Hamilton? So we watched it. Well, we didn't stay for the whole thing because it's long. But yeah, it's just such a great musical. Um, and then I'm still working through reading Damascus Station, the audiobook by David McCloskey. It's a really good spy novel. Um, I'm still not super far because I didn't get as far through my podcast this week as I wanted to. But I threw some into the uh not going to listen to Ben so that I could get back to this book. <laughs> it's good. Definitely check it out if you're into spy novels. And apparently I need to get some recommendations from you on good sci-fi novels because I obviously don't read enough sci-fi. Clearly, clearly not. Yeah. So uh, we do have one rather strange and kind of hilarious, uh, I guess, announcement. Um, yeah. Let's call this one a shout out. A shout out is a is a better way of calling this. So, um, we got a shout out from from another podcast called Wood Talk. And since neither Richard nor I are woodworkers by any stretch of the imagination, uh, we were told about this by a good friend of the show, Dave McCabe, uh, filled us in on this and said, "Hey, you need to go listen to episode five hundred thirty three of Wood Talk." Uh, and if you don't want to listen to the whole thing, go to about 11 minutes in and you get a shout out on the show. And I'm like, well, that's cool. I've, I've got to go listen to this. Like, it's probably not much, but we should go listen to it. And, and also it piqued both of our interests, of course, because why would we be mentioned on a woodworker show? Exactly. Exactly. And um, you should go and check it out because we got called out because they got on a side tangent, not about woodworking, but instead about how... Some people have doppelgangers that they look like, and the the one host was wondering, what do you call it when you sound like someone else? And and he said because uh, one of the hosts, the the host named Shannon, uh, he said you sound exactly like 
the host of another podcast I listened to called Entertainment 2.0. And he was referring to me. Uh, they, they didn't say which person by, by name, but it, it was me, not Richard. And oh my gosh, like I sound exactly like the Shannon guy. <laughs> it is so weird. I, I played it. I played it for my wife and she was floored. Like she's been married to me for 18 years. Like she knows what I sound like better than anybody. And she's like, you are that guy. You sound exactly <laughs> like him. You have the same inflections, the same tones, like everything is the same. So uh, clearly the next time I can't make the show, we're just going to call up this Shannon guy and see if he knows anything about cord cutting and Xbox and he can just fill in for me and you'll never even know. Right. I, I think that's here. a great idea. I like this. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. Hopefully he knows something about one of those two things at least. But go and check out Wood Talk. This is a podcast that if you're into woodworking, you should check it out. Because one thing that we can say about this that we can't say about very many podcasts is they've actually been doing their show longer than us. Wood Talk started in 2007. That's almost two years before the show started. So pretty, pretty impressive amount of longevity for that show. So go and check out Wood Talk. All right. Well, that's it for the shout outs. Uh, So if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can do it in a lot of different ways. We're on Twitter. Richard is at Richard Gunther. I'm at Josh Pollard. And the website is at DigiMediaZone on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, You can get all the rest of our contact information over at our website, www.thedigitalmediazone.com, where you can find our other blog post and our other podcast, including Richard's other podcast called Home On. Richard, what's going on at the latest episode of Home On? On my next episode of Home On, I am excited to welcome back HomeKit developer Matt Corey. And if you're thinking, well, I don't remember ever hearing an episode with developer Matt Corey. That's because almost a year ago, right now, Matt and I recorded an episode of Home On that never made it out there. And so he has been gracious enough to agree to come on again to talk about what he is up to. And I have promised him that this episode <laughs> will go live. <laughs> and uh, so I- I expect that. We have some cool news coming out as well. Uh, I have some actually uh, under... Uh, embargo news that I have to record separately to be able to include it with the episode next week. So I'm, I'm very excited about this one. I think everybody will enjoy it. Great. Can't wait to check that out. Uh, Also, you can enjoy this show. Uh, Obviously you're already enjoying it as a podcast, but you can also enjoy it live. We, we record this with video uh, almost every week. Uh, regular nights or Tuesday nights, uh, we've been doing Wednesday nights also, and it'll be Wednesday next week. Also, uh, typically at 8 30 PM Eastern, follow us on Twitter because we always tweet when the show is going to happen or just click the subscribe button on Twitch too. Once you get here, cause it'll also notify you. And if you can't make the time, but you're still interested in the video experience, we're uploading these shows to YouTube too, and you can subscribe and, and ring the bell to get notified when those get posted over there also. So that is going to do it for episode 599. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0.
Adios. Goodbye.